The Yo Soy Belinda, the Belinda the Housekeeper Story audio podcast is written, produced, and voiced by Lisa Timmons in the voice of Gwyneth Paltrow, a completely fictional character who in no way resembles a certain Hollywood actress with a similar sounding name. Oh, Belinda, where are you? From the Goop headquarters located in one of my walk-in closets at an undisclosed location within the greater Los Angeles area, I'm Gwyneth Palcho, coming at you with a brand spanking new true crime audio podcast entitled Yo Soy Belinda, the Belinda the Housekeeper story. Join me as I solve the mystery of what happened to my housekeeper, Belinda, who mysteriously disappeared just as my latest beauty product rolled out called Belinda in a Bottle leading to completely unfounded speculation that I was using her body to make beauty products for the rich and celebrity-obsessed. Previously on Yo Soy Belinda, the Belinda the Housekeeper audio podcast. Are you there, Gwyneth? It's me, Gwyneth, from earlier today when I recorded this. What you're hearing is your own beautiful voice because I'm making this message in order to hypnotize you so that you can access those pesky memories of what happened to Belinda the last time you saw her. Hmm. You shoved Belinda, knocked her out cold with a head injury, and that didn't kill her? Even though I'm you, I'm finding that hard to believe. I pressed the button on the speaker and said, in as calm and normal of a voice as I could manage, Thank you. I'll be upstairs shortly. My hands still shook from the rush of adrenaline that flooded my brain and facilitated the loud, hard smack across Belinda's face, and then the subsequent shove that left her in a lifeless pile on the cold, hard tile of my subterranean bathroom. I was in shock at how calm my voice had sounded, even though my entire body was buzzing with latent energy. Had I really killed Belinda? I walked toward her body, terrified or electrified. I couldn't really tell. She was lying on her back, eyes closed, eerily still. I knelt down and looked at her face. Was she breathing? Maybe. I put my finger under her nose, feeling warmth and realized that she was thank God, alive and breathing, but still. This was a quandary. I hadn't killed her, but this could potentially be a whole lot worse. Thinking about how shoving Belinda into a marble column, however tasteful, complicated everything in my life. My ski accident trial, my product invention block. I wondered quietly to myself if it wouldn't have been better if I had accidentally killed her. Let me think. I needed to get downstairs to dinner, but I couldn't just leave Belinda here. If she woke up, God only knows what she'd do before I'd had a chance to talk with her and explain that this was all one huge misunderstanding. I had experienced a moment of weakness and shoved her. I wasn't intentionally trying to hurt her. I just wanted to let off a little steam, and she happened to be available. And within shoving distance. But where could I stash a body quickly and safely until I had the time to deal with it? I looked around my subterranean bathroom chambers when my eyes landed on the laundry chute. Hmm. Despite taking up valuable extra mansion space, the complicated unseen system of tunnels I had constructed 
also included multiple laundry chutes throughout the house that emptied into the laundry room in the basement, for which I was incredibly grateful at this moment. A laundry room for which only Belinda and myself had the key. Not because of any premeditated plan on my part. It's just that nobody ever had occasion to go into the laundry room. It was decidedly the least sexy part of the house. I grabbed Belinda by the arms and started pulling her towards the laundry chute across the room. Ah, she groaned. I stopped, frozen in horror. Was it possible that she was going to wake up? I needed to hurry and get her into that chute before she came to, or I would have way too much explaining to do, and I really didn't feel like getting my beloved husband, Brad, involved. I started tugging faster on her arms, hurrying her along the cold tile floor. A wet, obscene stream of blood streaked along the ground from where her head was apparently bleeding. Ugh. And of course, the skin on her arms felt velvety and smooth to my touch. Hey, she said weakly. Her eyes started to slowly blink in the dim light of the bathroom. At the sound of her voice, I started dragging her faster toward the chute. Miss Gwyneth, she continued, now fully looking at me. What happened? Nearly at the chute, I opened it and looked back at her. Despite my daily Tracy Anderson workout, I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to hoist her body into the chute all by myself. Work smarter, not harder, I told myself before kneeling down to speak to Belinda. I pulled her up so she was seated on the floor. She moaned groggily. Come on, you just need to get to your feet. It's too dangerous for you to lose consciousness. I looped my arms under hers from behind her to get her up on her feet. Then I positioned myself in front of her. She stood in front of me, wobbly in the low light of the subterranean bathroom, only serving to highlight the smoothness of the skin on her face. My jealousy of her perfect skin helped to reignite the fire of anger that had caused this whole situation to begin with, which was helpful because I needed it to motivate me to shove her for a second time backwards into the laundry chute. Before she realized what was happening, Belinda's eyes flashed open in surprise and fear as I watched her stricken face be swallowed up by the blackness of the laundry chute tunnel. Her mouth opened wide, as if to yell out, but she uttered no words as she simply stared back at me in intense confusion, hands outstretched in a final futile plea for help. Oops, I said to myself again quietly. This time, I couldn't help but hope that this shove actually would kill her. Of course, Belinda hadn't done anything worth being murdered over, but nobody understands the pressure I'm under these days. Did I know what it felt like to be food or housing insecure? Of course not, but it doesn't make my problems any less valid. Because of my generational wealth, as well as my institutional celebrity, it would almost be impossible for me to fall out of my social class, much less end up on the streets without a home. But I knew deep in my soul that I was justified in my actions because, well, I was Gwyneth Paltrow. I provided an important service to people around the world. The feeling of joy and calm they experienced by knowing that I was living this picture-perfect life 
help lubricate the often rusty journey on which life likes to take us. My idyllic lifestyle provided the ideal simulated life for them to feel a sense of purpose, a sense of belonging. And when they looked in their home to see it filled with my Goop branded items, they would feel that connection to me that would help them not to feel so alone in the world. Could a jade egg inside a vagina bring a person abject happiness? Maybe not. But it could act as the Dumbo feather for some girl boss, hoping to gather up the courage to finally, really pull up those bootstraps and start exploiting some cheap labor. Or it could be a fun little secret some nine to five cubicle monkey is sitting on at her telemarketing gig, receiving incoming customer calls that helps her get through the day until that final day of her life when she finally gets to make good on that promise to, quote, sleep when she's dead. The fantasy that capitalism can work for everyone is actually what I'm selling. The idea that if you get thin enough, blonde enough, or whatever enough it is that you need to be in order to be successful, you too can experience the wonder of being Gwyneth Paltrow. Except that you can't. I can't even achieve the image of the woman I'm portraying. Not really. But in this grand social contract that we call modern civilization, we all agree to pretend it's possible. And that pretending never hurt anyone. Well, it does hurt people all the time by distracting them from the real problems, fighting racism and the oppression of all marginalized groups, as well as the very capitalist system designed to oppress them. But if we're all being totally honest, would they even know how to live with all the freedom to just do what they wanted? Of course not. That's why it's up to people like me to lead by example. Miss Gwyneth? The speaker crackled alive once again, causing me to jump straight up in the air like a startled cat. Oh God, I almost completely forgot about dinner. Knowing that Belinda would be waiting for me to deal with in the laundry room, most likely dead, helped me regain my composure and my focus. I closed my eyes and pressed the speaker button to say, On my way now. Taking a final look at the laundry chute door, a closed mouth holding a secret that only I knew about, I glided up the stairs in the most carefree manner I could muster. While it is true that there are many earthly items that I cherish, often more than human life itself, it cannot be denied that I am quite possibly most proud of my past romantic relationships. Reading like a top 10 list on IMDb of some of the most successful and socially appropriate male representatives of the entertainment industry from my peer group, it represents one of my first ventures into curating coveted items for impressionable minds. I do have a genuine affection for every single romantic tryst, however great or small, because I know that each of those individuals had good enough taste at one point in their lives to have chosen me. I am always the one who was chosen. Whenever life has presented me with its darkest moments, this is a fact to which I can cling that will always bring me joy. Hence, my decision to create and maintain my Hall of Exes. My Hall of Exes came about very organically, really. Even though I didn't popularly coin the phrase 
conscious uncoupling until my divorce from Chris Martin in 2014, I had been practicing the art of the loving, mutual breakup for years in all of my prior romances. All the endings of my romantic relationships have been mature, completely mutual, and perfectly executed. I am definitely not a bad breaker-upper. In fact, if exes were to leave comment cards, I feel confident that I would receive glowing marks almost completely across the board. I know this because I feel the very same way about so many of my past loves. Now, not every one of my former flames has earned himself a shrine in my hallowed hall of exes. There have been other actors, producers, and musicians over the years, of course, but there are three key romantic relationships that have shaped the outcome of my life, and I feel obligated to honor them. Chris Martin A brief dalliance with Canadian musician Ryan Adams wet my palate for the main course, which was my first marriage to Coldplay frontman Chris Martin. The father of my British children, Apple and Moses. The man with whom I was finally able to live out my Anglo-Saxon fantasy. Chris was my British rock star. My relationship with Chris was special in so many ways, most importantly because he was able to give me my two beautiful progeny. These anchor babies of mine would ensure that I would always maintain a pied-à-terre in the hallowed homeland of all that was pure and truly elegant, the United Kingdom. Also, he's how I obtained Beyonce's cell phone number. Did you know she once let Chris perform at the Super Bowl with her and Bruno Mars? Even though I had already uncoupled from Chris at the time, it was still very, very cool for me. Oh, Chris, you will always hold a special place in my heart. I really enjoyed being married to a rock star. Despite what you may think, there are even dreams of my own that have gone deferred. I know I appear very privileged and out of touch, but I too have my insecurities. My favorite day of all time was when I won my Academy Award for Shakespeare in Love because for the first time in my life, I was standing on a stage while everyone in the audience applauded and yelled. It was absolutely electrifying. It's hard to explain to anyone who has done neither, but being a movie star is so much less immediately gratifying. Sure, people recognize you and fawn over you. But the feeling of pure, unadulterated adoration washing over you when a crowd of real, live humans cheers for you is completely unparalleled. I understand why live performers crave it like a drug. I got some recognition for my singing and acting on a guest run on Glee, where I met my beloved current husband, Brad Falchuk. But for the most part, nobody has really been all that excited whenever I've opened my mouth to sing. Not even a duet with Huey Lewis from Huey Lewis and the News could get my singing career kick-started. I even tried to play a massive country singer in Country Strong in a final attempt to get this whole singing thing off the ground once and for all. But audiences were so confused, they didn't know whether or not to hate the movie. At the time, they simply assumed the trailer was a skit for Saturday Night Live. However... 
a marriage to Chris Martin from Coldplay meant that I would start getting to attend music award shows, much like my ex Ben Affleck, who couldn't stop bragging about getting to do so back when he dated JLo the first time around. This was a fun world that allowed me to make diverse friends like B and J, even though everyone would only smile politely whenever the microphone would make its way to me during the occasional karaoke night I would make everyone attend at our home. Alas, our marriage ran its natural course, and one day the two of us simply realized that we had learned all we could from one another. It happened over afternoon tea. I was sipping my black English breakfast tea peacefully out of a stunning bone-white china teacup when we both locked eyes and said at the exact same moment, Shall we end it now? And we both nodded politely at one another, calling our respective lawyers and drafted our now famous consciously uncoupling statement. And the rest, as they say, is history. Thank you, Chris, so very much for your service. Namaste. Ben Affleck. My relationship with Ben Affleck represents such a transitional time in my life. I was graduating from my role as the child of famous parents into a fully-fledged movie star. When we both met on the set of Shakespeare in Love, we were in our 20s, massively famous with way too much access to money, drugs, and other such movie star sundry items. I was messy with Ben, but somehow he managed to be messier. And even though he could make me laugh and we enjoyed technically excellent sex, I was plagued with something I'd never experienced before. Feelings of regret over the ending of a previous romance. Between my distraction over my ex and Ben's zeal for partying, our relationship was cosmically never intended to be long-term. That said, I will always be grateful for Ben because of our aforementioned technically excellent sex. The most impressive aspect of our lovemaking was the fact that while we were achieving perfect 10 ratings across the board for technical excellence, we were doing it all while just coked up out of our minds. Technically, that's part of the reason why the sex was so excellent. I had fun with Ben. We loved getting messed up, eating Taco Bell, and going a couple of rounds of sexual jujitsu. We shared a lot of laughs and more than a few volcano burritos. But by the end of our three-year romance, I was entering my 30s and considering a rebranding of my image. And Ben's penchant for cocktail waitresses didn't exactly fit into this reimagining of myself that I was slowly starting to formulate. The two of us ended the relationship amicably by simultaneously chugging an Irish car bomb while maintaining sustained eye contact, punctuated with a satisfied Belgian handshake before going our separate ways to the tune of that one Dropkick Murphys song. However, years later, when Ben was going through his sad Affleck phase, I decided to lend my former flame a helping hand. I had seen the same paparazzi photos as the rest of the world of Ben looking defeated, broken, and downright sad. Much like the rest of the world, I wondered what was making him so darn dejected. Getting straight to the point, I picked up the phone and called him. After we had dispensed with greeting pleasantries, I pointedly asked him, Hey, what's going on, buddy? Why the long face in interviews? He went on to start listing the reasons why he was feeling depressed. 
as he continued to drone on and on about his problems, my mind started to wander, already regretting that I had asked him anything. Suddenly, I cut him off and said, It's not your fault. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. He immediately burst into tears. Listening to him sob to me over the phone, I patiently waited for him to collect himself. When he was done, he thanked me for saying exactly what he'd needed to hear at that moment and asked me, is there any other advice that you'd like to give? That's when I suggested the Phoenix Tattoo, a decision behind which I confidently still stand. However, to be fair, I didn't specify the size. That was a Ben choice. Oh, Ben, thanks for the laughs and the burps. I loved Dem Apples. Brad Pitt. What can I possibly say about Brad Pitt that I haven't already said before? If it isn't perfectly clear, I still kick myself every single day for not figuring out a way to make that relationship a death till we part type situation. Our animal magnetism was palpable. At least to us it was. And we just looked so good together. On the red carpet in our matching outfits and identical bleach blonde short haircuts, we were just one member short of a revamped lineup of Destiny's Child being styled by one Ms. Tina Knowles. Our closets were an exercise in perfect symmetry. The age difference between us, however, proved to be the greatest issue as I was not ready to settle down and get married. After having my first real taste of an A-list movie star romance, I couldn't wait to decide what Hollywood hottie to sample next. However, as soon as I jumped quickly into my relationship with Ben following my breakup with Brad, I realized that I had accidentally peaked way too early. Watching the careers of Jennifer Aniston and then Angelina Jolie positively skyrocket during the span of their marriages to the ex I had casually allowed to get away left me feeling what I believe the kids refer to as FOMO, and I was envious as a mofo of the both of them. Too many times I had been subjected to tabloids posing the question of who was Team Jen or Team Angie in this ongoing battle over what was arguably the most coveted partner in movie star power couple history. Nobody ever considered recruitment to Team Gwyneth. Not that I expected anyone to. Brad represented the ultimate Birkin bag, the most envied accessory a woman could possibly hope to show off on the red carpet, and I had let him slip through my silly, willowy fingers. As soon as I returned the engagement ring to Brad, the spotlight shining on me dimmed ever so slightly. Wasn't I still an Academy Award-winning actress? Of course. I had the gold trophy in the footage to prove it. But the sun had never shone more brightly on me than when I was walking hand-in-hand hand with Brad on the red carpet. It's a high I've been chasing ever since. Oh, Brad... Thank you for the passion and the media attention. It was exquisite. Hasta luego, corazón. 
Walking through my hall of exes leading into my dining hall, I looked up to see the life-size nude portraits of Chris, Ben, and Brad, each lounging languidly in their physical prime on the same dusky pink rose velvet fainting couch. Each man chose a slightly different pose for the occasion, but they all displayed the same distinct feature. My ex-lovers each posed so that their genitals and accompanying pubic hair was a striking shade of what can only be described as ginger red. One of the wishes I received in a breach of contract lawsuit with a genie gave me the power to brand each of my lovers with a unique mark of my own design. My pubis operandus, if you will. That's right. Every single sexual partner of mine has a brightly colored bouquet of pubic hair. It's the red rose I choose to leave behind. Entering the dining chambers, my reasonable husband and life partner, Brad Falchuk, was already seated in his seat directly across from mine. Our children were out having dinner at various friends' homes, as was often the custom of children of this social class at this age. They were so independent. It would be such a seamless transition when they were finally ready to go make it out in the world on their own. With my infinite financial support, of course. And by out in the world, I, of course, mean in high desert bunkers, populated with remaining progeny of some of the most cutthroat, bloodthirsty examples of pure human greed, who still deign to talk to their parents even after they have caused the ultimate destruction of the only planet they've ever known. Anyways, Brad looked positively placid in front of his dinner bowl of piping hot bone broth. A tall crystal glass filled two-thirds of the way up with a green juice smoothie sat in front of each of our place settings. I sat down in my seat in front of my corresponding bowl of bone broth. Bone broth again? I thought to myself before shoving that thought violently down into the depths of my very soul. I smiled in forced excitement over the anticipation of the feeling of satisfaction once that salty liquid was to wash over my tongue for the first time. It was one of the few indulgences I allowed myself in life, but even I had to admit the flavor of it was starting to slowly wear on me. How was your day? Brett asked, in between appreciative slurps of his broth. I took a sip of mine, stalling as I thought of what to tell him. I took a moment to compose my thoughts, dabbing at my lips with the taupe linen napkin gingerly draped across my lap. Well, I said, clearing my throat. Suddenly, I remembered something important. You are never going to believe this, I replied, enticing Brad with an answer. Do you remember that man who ran into me in that skiing accident I had in Utah? Brad took a moment to thoughtfully recall the incident. Oh yes, he said. I do remember. Well, I told him, he's decided to go through with the lawsuit, and the trial is going to be televised. At this, Brad's eyes widened. He knew that my initial reaction to this news had probably been tantamount to how one might receive the news of a life-altering bombshell but I could tell that he eventually regarded me with confusion when he realized that I didn't appear to be angry at all. In fact, the expression he was recognizing on my face was that of excitement. As it turns out, 
This ski accident trial might be the answer to my very pressing Belinda problem. You don't seem upset. Not that I want you to be upset, but I'm just surprised, I guess. This seems like something of a setback. Am I wrong? I asked. I shook my head good-naturedly. Of course I was furious when I first heard the news. I mean, who wouldn't be? I obviously am completely not at fault, and this idiot clearly just wants his 15 minutes of fame. Well, I'm more than happy to give him what he's asking for. If it's a circus he's looking to experience, welcome to the freak show, Terry. But what he doesn't realize is that this is the perfect opportunity for me. I am an Academy Award-winning actress, after all, and I am honestly dying for the opportunity to be on television again. After all, I haven't been on an episode of TV since, well, you and I met on the set of Glee so many years ago. This is my chance to recapture the nation's attention, for good or for bad. Terry Anderson has absolutely no idea that he has messed around with the wrong lady at the absolute wrong time. Brad watched me with a mix of admiration and quite possibly fear when I finished talking. I smiled reassuringly at him and reached over to grab him comfortingly by the wrist. Don't worry, you and the kids are going to be my secret weapons. He looked at me in confusion at this statement. What are you talking about? I calmly took a sip of my bone broth and locked eyes with Brad, telling him serenely, I need all of you to take the stand in my defense. Brad started to protest feebly. Are you sure? Brad, don't worry. It's going to be fine. In fact, this could be a great moment for Goop. I'll swipe some new items from the G-Label warehouse for us all to wear. Not only will it be fine, it will be fabulous. This is going to be the most fashionable, entertaining trial of the year, at the very least. We might actually have fun with this thing. This seemed to appease him for the time being. His facial expression relaxed, and he continued sipping his bone broth. Trust me, I reassured him. I have everything under control. We continued to sip our bone broth in comfortable silence, slurping down our smoothies in between polite bits of marital conversation. After finishing dinner and allowing the help to clear our plates, I walked Brad to our bedroom, where we both slept side by side in our matching cryogenic sleep tubes. Brad began disrobing out of his casual work attire into his casual relaxing at home attire. Both outfits available at G-Label, where all G-Label is sold. Oh, I exclaimed, subtly for Brad's benefit. He looked at me quizzically in response. I just remembered that I left a camisole I snagged from the G-Label warehouse downstairs. I'll just go get that and be right back. For a moment, he smiled at me, and a thrill rippled through my body. Somehow... I had managed to solve all of my problems all at once in a hot flash of inspiration. Instead of proving to be the ruin of my reputation, this ski trial would be my chance to remind the world that I, Gwyneth Paltrow, was a woman of public interest. And while the entire world is transfixed by the winter sports fiasco in court, 
they will all be so entertained and delighted that no one will even think to ask themselves, what exactly happened to her housekeeper, Belinda? I was a genius. This trial was the perfect solution to all of my problems. In fact, all of this problem solving was turning me on. Suddenly, I looked at Brad with a hunger in my eyes. I walked seductively towards him and put my arms around his neck. He smiled at me in pleasant surprise. And when I get back, I breathily whispered into his ear, I'll model it for you. Brad's eyebrows raised in amusement. Oh, really? He said. Shall I wait for you in our marital lovemaking bed? Placing a seductive kiss on his cheek, I replied, Please do. I'll only be a moment. Slowly removing my arms from around his neck, I glided to the bedroom doorway and blew him a kiss before I left the room and entered the elevator that led straight down into the laundry room. As the elevator doors opened, I stepped inside the basement level of the mansion. Directly ahead of me was the laundry room where Belinda's lifeless body would be awaiting me. During the quiet part of dinner, I had already thought out a plan for how to handle my Belinda situation. It was so intoxicatingly simple. I would simply drag her from the laundry room to the cellar freezer, where nobody, and I mean nobody, ever went. I could wrap her in a tarp and leave her to dispose of her body at my leisure. What was the rush? If she were preserved in the cold, I could easily take my time deciding what to do with her. For a moment, a perverse thought fluttered across the synapses of my brain. What did she taste like? I shook the thought loose, but it was already too late. I couldn't help but wonder, what would bone broth made from a human taste like? Could this be the switch up I was looking for to reignite my interest in the one meal that I knew I could always safely consume without guilt? Was a Belinda bone broth the cure to my ails? And what's more, perhaps the rest of her body parts could even serve to inspire innovative goop products. I mean, if I were only using her bones for broth, that would be such a waste of the rest of her, wouldn't it? I owed her the respect of using every last ounce of her flesh. Otherwise, that would be the real sin, wouldn't it? Her skin, her work ethic, her cheerful disposition. The key to all of these attributes would probably be lurking inside her skin cells, to which I now had unfettered access. My steps quickened with excitement as I walked briskly in the direction of where I was confident her body would be awaiting me when I suddenly stopped dead in my tracks. There, in the location where I fully expected to see Belinda lying still in a pile of bloody clothing, limbs, and dark hair, was a bloody streak that led to the laundry room's massive bucket sink. I surmised from the trail of blood that ended at the sink that Belinda had somehow managed to drag herself into it and proceeded to wash her body of the blood, quite possibly snagging clean clothes, this was the laundry room after all, and figured out a way to disappear, seemingly without a trace. Suddenly keenly aware of the silence in the room, I turned slowly around, my eyes darting into every dark corner with suspicion. They rested on the door that led into the system of tunnels used by my help to traverse my immense mansion. It slowly creaked open, 
I peeked my head inside the dark tunnel before quietly asking myself, Oh, Belinda, where are you?